Yo, what's up everyone? Welcome back to our Thursday Night Live. This is Frankie here. How are you guys doing? If you can hear me loud and clear, please type one in the comment box so that I know that you can hear. Hello, good evening everybody. So dark. <laughs> yeah, today we want to create that atmosphere a little bit. Yeah, because... The market is quite gloomy, so therefore our studio is also a little bit gloomy tonight. Uh, as you can see, uh, Peter is not here with me tonight, but uh, nonetheless, the show will go on and today we have very exciting topics to cover. So hope you guys are ready for it. Um, just, just want to point out this interesting thing that happened in the past two weeks. Not sure if you guys noticed or not. Um, so now we know that it's the US earnings season, right? And almost many, many of the US companies have already have already reported their earnings. And 80%, more than 80% of those earnings actually beat market expectation. But very weird, even though the result is so good, right? But the market has been going down for the past two weeks. Um, I'm not sure if anybody bought some shares because earnings are better than expected and then lose money because of that. If you experience that, um, please tell us in the comment box um, and then we will, we will go through it for, with some of the reasons why I think the market is going down currently. right? But, but no doubt it is, it is very interesting because under normal circumstances, when companies report good earnings, that's good news. And those good news typically will end up having the share price going up. And it's just a lot of retail investors, especially they, some of them, they even PM me privately and ask, hey, could you, could you tell me, did I miss out anything? Because I have done my research, you know, the homework all states that the numbers are great, but I'm still losing money. So I still think that the stock market is kind of like a casino, you know, it's... You know, whenever I put money in, then I lose money. So should I continue to invest? So, yeah. Okay, nonetheless, let's go down with what happened in the past two weeks. First of all, if you recall last week um, in our live session, right? Uh, we talked about the Fitch. The Fitch downgraded the US long-term credit rating from AAA, which is the highest level of credit rating, to double A plus, which is one notch down. A country that has the highest credit rating, like the US, triple A, what it means is that when the US government goes out to borrow money, then investors will see the US as a country that is very safe because your credit rating is at the highest score, which means it's very difficult for you to default. If I lend my money to the US, most likely 99.9% .9 chance that the US is going to pay me back. Now, because the Fitch downgraded the credit rating of the US from AAA to AA plus, what it means is that maybe from 99.9% .9 chance that the government will be able to pay back the money that I lend to them, probably now has gone down to 99.2%. Right? So, Everything has two sides of the coin, right? So the bad side of the coin is, Oi, from 99.9% .9 now drops to 99.2%. That means the risk of me lending my money to the US is higher now. So therefore, uh, if I want to lend money to the US, I better get higher interest rate from them, right? So that is the negative side of things, which caused the market to panic a little bit 
and started to sell the market re- regardless of what the earnings is doing right now, right? The earnings season is doing. So um, because of that, then a lot of all these economies and all the investment experts came out to say that, hey, 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 wait, wait, wait. I know from 99.9% down to 99.2% is a little bit bad. But if you think about it, right, the US is still the number one superpower economy in the world. And if anybody were to lend money to the US, if the US cannot repay, hey, that means the whole world will be in trouble, right? The whole world is going to be in trouble. And with you in, in throughout US history, US has never defaulted in its um, 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 uh, borrowings before. So because of that, even though the credit rating from the Fitch has dropped from AAA to, to AA+, plus, a lot of all these investors still think that it's okay, right? The US government, by hook or by crook, they are going to repay whatever money that they borrowed from investors. So that's one side of the story. And that story was last week's story. Then after that, this week itself, another credit rate agency called uh, Moody's. Moody's came out and this time around, they, they are not downgrading the US government putting a uh, credit rating. But this time, they downgraded 10, 10 US banks putting a credit rating. Right? And on top of that, the Moody's also put 11 banks under negative outlook. Now, what does it mean? First of all, let's talk about the, uh, the downgrade part. So the downgrade part is quite straightforward. They downgraded 10 US banks. Um, and most of these banks are small and mid-sized banks. So their size are typically around that uh, SVB kind of range. Right? So those banks... They got downgraded. I think it's very easy to understand because uh, region, uh, regional banks, they, are not, um, com- they don't need to comply with the strict um, banking rules that is uh, put in place. Uh, thanks to President Biden, uh, no, President Trump in the past who said that, hey, you know, in order for the US to be big again, we must be more lenient to the US banks, especially the small and mid-sized bank so that they can pump the economy and make uh, the US economy grow. So he relaxed a lot of all these uh, restrictions on, on the smaller banks. And because of that, all these smaller banks, they become more gung-ho. They took up more risky um, investments. And therefore, today, these banks are suffering. Lah, right? And because of those suffer, um, their profitability has been affected by a little bit. And thanks to that also, then Buddhists decided to downgrade these 10 banks. Um, from whatever ratings that they are previously to one notch lower. Now, the second part of um, the statement, the 11 banks that are currently under negative outlook, what does it mean? It means that this, the next batch of 11 banks, they are bad. But they are not so bad until Moody's want to downgrade them yet. But they are at this very danger zone, you see? Right, so... If these 11 banks, they don't improve their liquidity ratios and their profitability and all those stuff, probably in the next review, Moody will say, hey, this time around, from negative review, I'm going to downgrade you guys. So if that happens, in total, right, in a short span of time, Moody's may consider to downgrade, uh, yes, to downgrade altogether 21 banks in a very short uh, period of time. And as we all know, Banks is typically the proxy of a country's economy. Now, what do I mean by that, right? It's, it's very easy to understand. For normal people like us, 
right? We go and work, we make money, you know, and where do we put our salary? Typically in a bank, right? And when we put them, our money in the bank, the bank pays us interest. And what the bank does with the, with the money that we put in the bank, they take our money, they go and loan it out to businesses, they loan it out to the government or whoever, and in return, they will charge those people who lend the money or who borrow the money, sorry, um, a higher interest rate. And then they take the, take the money from the interest and pay a portion of it back to the depositors like us. So the, 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 the difference between these two interest rates is the profit for the banks. Okay? Now, why is it, why banks are proxy for the economy? Number one, if nobody go and save money in the bank, the bank cannot work because the bank will not have money to lend it out to people. Now, on the other side of things, if the businesses don't borrow, if the government don't borrow, there's not going to be investments. They are not going to build new factories. They are not going to make new things. So again, the economy cannot move. And if the economy cannot move, then again, we will be in a very big trouble, all right? So that is the reason why we say banking is the proxy of the economy. If bank growth is healthy, if bank is doing great, chances are the GDP will be good. Uh, the country typically will do very well. Okay. Now, the fact that Moody's has downgraded 10 banks and put 11 banks on negative outlook. And chances are if these 11 banks going forward also gonna downgraded, and then from there it domino effect down to other banks also gonna downgrade negative outlook and all those stuff, then this could be the start of all of investors' fear in the market, which is not a soft lending. It could be a hard lending, right? And that is very dangerous. And because of that, the market has been trying to take money off the market, even though 80%, more than 80% of the companies that beat market expectation in terms of their earnings release, also no point, right? The market is just going down. So that is the background of the um, overall story um, in the US currently. But um, one, the, the other thing that is very interesting about the US um, um, is, is, uh, is uh, this one you know. Tonight, tonight itself, the US is going to uh, release their inflation number. And if you look at their oil prices, oil prices has been on the increase again. Why is that so? Even though the market is slowing down and all that, it's because if you remember during the pandemic time, a lot of things got shut down, right? A lot of things cannot operate. And in the US, there is this thing called the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And because all these oil fields, they are not working. So the country itself and most part of the world are relying on their own country reserve to sustain their economy activities, right? Because you still need to generate electricity. Some of the trucks still need to move, but too bad during that time, oil fields are not working. So you are not producing more oil to replenish your stock. So the stock level has been going down tremendously. And the U.S. Punya Strategic Petroleum Reserve has gone down to, if I'm not mistaken, about 10 or 12 years low, right? At a very dangerous level. And the U.S. government has already mentioned that if, if oil price fall down to below $60 per barrel, they are going to be very aggressive to buy oil 
in order to replenish their strategic petroleum reserve. But the problem is the oil price only hit $60 per barrel for a very short period of time. Most of the time during, during this year, I would say it ranges around 70, 70 plus, right? 70 plus dollars per barrel. And lately it has gone up to 80 bucks, more than 80 bucks per barrel. I think the reason for the increase is because the US Punia uh, Strategic Petroleum Reserve cannot tahan that buffer level anymore. They cannot wait until the price come down. They have to start replenishing their stock. So therefore, it starts to push the oil price back up a little bit. Now, because of this scenario, and we all know that most of the economic activities rely on oil, inflation is going to go up again. And remember, the Fed mentioned that there's going to be two more rounds of uh, interest rate hike, right? And they already did once. So the market right now is still um, expecting one more to happen. But if let's say the US takes the next six months to slowly replenish their oil reserve, and during these six months, people are just going to speculate and say, hey, since the US is going to buy oil, right? I better sapu as much as I can first so that when there's no more uh, enough stock in the market, they have no choice but to come to me to buy. So a lot of all these speculators, they are also accumulating oil in view that maybe the US might need to buy from them. So inflation looks like it's going to go up again. And if inflation goes up, then my question would be, would the Fed things that, oh, this is because of speculation and therefore it's not sustainable and inflation will come down over time. Or they will think that, hey, if oil price goes up, inflation up, I don't care. I just look at data. If data say inflation hit certain level, interest rate hike is going to come in. So at this point, nobody knows um, what the central bank is going to do. And that is very dangerous as well. So as you can see, all this little, little events that is happening right now, right? It's all pointing towards the US market at a very uncertain level. And this uncertainty is making investors very uncomfortable. I'm, well, I'm, I'm not sure how uncomfortable you are because I also met some investors who are very bullish in the market right now. And the reason that they are bullish is because they missed the boat in this 2023 bull run. But they keep hearing people saying that, hey, you know, the market is good, you know, especially in the US. You know, maybe you don't make market, uh, you don't make money in the Malaysian market, but if you put your money in the US, right, just close your eyes, buy anything, you will make money one. So over time, they got cycled by their friends and family and whatnot. And when they finally start to put money into the market, then all these things happen. Right. So that's why uh, in the beginning of this session, I mentioned that there are some people who are losing money because they are seeing good economic data, but the share price is not reflecting what they are seeing, So, which is very disappointing. Right. Um, the other thing is that now, a lot of retail investors also told me that when they invest in the market, because they are beginners, they don't want to have the trouble or they don't even know where to start, how to analyze stocks. So the easy way out to them is to actually invest into ETFs because their argument is that based on historical data, ETFs always go up, right? And yeah, that is true. If you look at history, they kind of, I think from 2019 all the way until today, 
is one way up one, one way street. And the one way street is very, very steep one. Uh. Every year you can make like 10% return or something like that, which is great. So based on empirical evidence, I should put more money into ETFs. But if you follow the economy news long enough, then you have to think back what happened in 2009 until today that contributed to that super bull run for the past 13, 14 years, right? So if you look at 2009, the world just came out from subprime mortgage crisis, right? The Fed pushed the interest rate all the way down to zero. So if you borrow $1 from the bank in the US, you also pay back $1 to the US banks, right? It's free money, literally. So everyone go and borrow money. Everyone go and borrow money, go and borrow money. And when they have so much cash, what do they do? They buy Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin have pretty good bull run in those, uh, those period. They buy into stocks, right? Stocks rarely 14-year bull run, right? They bought into real estates, property prices bull run, everybody happy, right? Some can even buy two, three houses, flip, 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 and can still make double, triple um, the, the uh, profit from it. So everyone was happy. And, and, and it's because of that, because of that low interest rate environment for such a long period of time, it has built its reputation, you know. It has built, it has built its reputation to be able to prove to people that if you put money into ETFs, you are going to make money. But now, today, the situation is totally different. We have interest rate at more than 5%. Right? Businesses are struggling to pay the interest expenses. And one more danger that is coming that I think more and more people start to see is that if you recall during the pandemic, we are in lockdown, right? And when we're in lockdown, what happened? A lot of all these uh, people who are stuck at home, they started side hustles. Well, if you think about it, Mr. Money is also kind of started off as a side hustle um, and then it started to expand and then today it grew into a business. Um, for, 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 for Mr. Money TV, it's a little bit luckier, but there are also a lot of people who started side hustle, but when, when the lockdown finishes, you know, the COVID virus got under control, they got back into their real life, their normal life and stuff like that, then they forgot about their side hustle, right? They, they, they leave their business there, they don't really uh, look after of it anymore. So all these small business started, started to lose its momentum. But what happened is that during those times, during the 2020, 2021, and 2022, all these side hustles that thought that they are going to be big, they started to go out and rent commercial units. Or some of them even go and buy commercial units. I mean, why not, right? Interest rate is zero, man. If I borrow one million, all I need to pay back is one million exactly. That means what I have to do is to make sure that my sales is one million and one dollar. So at least I can make $1 for sure, right? But, but when, 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 when all these side hustle people, all these small, small businesses, mid-side businesses, they go and borrow money from banks and they put this money into commercial real estate during the pandemic period. And now interest rate is at more than 5%. And their business is not doing great because you have pressure from big companies and you have your day job that you need to look after. You've got no time to look after your small little business. Who is going to pay the rent, right? And who is going to service the mortgages? 
And what happens is that because all these small banks, mid-sized banks, they don't need to comply with the stringent rules from the, uh, from the US government. They have been giving out loans to all these small businesses to go into commercial real estates. Commercial real estates. So if, if, you, if you are a believer that history will repeat itself, right? Then you look back at 2008. In 2008, everyone was happy buying houses, right? They were so happy that even people who don't have a job also go and get a loan. And somehow they managed to get the approval to get the loan. So all these things pile up to become what we call subprime mortgage price crisis, right? People who borrowed money, but actually they don't have the ability to pay back. Now, if you think about it, if you think about it, right, this commercial real estate problem that we are facing right now, I think it kind of resembles what happened in the subprime mortgage crisis currently, right? Because all these businesses, they're not doing well and they are not able to pay back their mortgages to the banks. And we start to see Moody come out to downgrade these banks and put some of the larger banks into negative outlook. I just cannot imagine how many more banks are involved. So what I'm trying to say here is that we, we are still not out of the woods yet. And if anything, I think we are deeper in the woods, right? We are, we, we are, we are darker into that mystery forest. And maybe that's part of the reason why today our studio is a little bit darker, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and in order for us to achieve a soft landing, then I think one of the methods that the regulators could do is to start reducing the interest rate. But I think that's a very dangerous move. Why is it a dangerous move? It's because, number one, we just started to see signs of inflation coming down. But it's not like, oh, we got no more inflation already. It's just that the, the rate, the pace of the inflation is not as aggressive as before. What do I mean by that? Eh? Uh, if you look at when, when we are at the hype of the in inflation period, right? If you look at Turkey, Turkey today, one loaf of bread could cost you $2. You go back to sleep the next day, wake up, right? The loaf of bread becomes $4, right? That's how bad inflation was at the peak. Today, yes, inflation is coming down, but it's not, it's not to say that there's no more inflation. So today's situation is, let's say we use Turkey as an example again. Today, the loaf of bread costs $2. You go to sleep, you wake up, it's not $4. It's maybe two fifty. Yeah, it's not that bad, but hey, one sleep only, you know, one sleep, you sleep, come up, wake up, next day increase by 50 cents. It's still bad, right? It's just not that bad, right? So therefore, I think interest rates still need to be high enough in order for inflation to really come down and say that, okay, I can be sure that this loaf of bread, when I wake up tomorrow, it still stays at $2 it will only go up to 210 or 220 at least one year later. Ah, that is called stable inflation. Okay? So what the central bank wants to achieve is that. And in order to achieve that, they have to keep interest rate at a higher level. So, yeah. So while I think that in order to have a soft landing, it's better to, de to reduce the interest rate. But at the same time, you cannot really do it because if you do it, then inflation cannot come down. And in fact, because of the oil issue, oil prices is going up. So that will contribute to inflation some more. So 
I I really don't know where where this whole thing is going. And I have a feeling that it's going to be a very bad, well, the nicer word would be recession, but um, the, the, the worst word would be a crash, right? a depression, like what happened in the 1920s. So, um, well, but we will still have to see what happens going forward because I don't have a crystal ball with me. I cannot predict what's going to happen in the future. But those are some of the potential outcome that we may fall into. And as an investor, our job is to identify which outcome has the highest probability to happen and therefore maneuver our portfolio based on that. Right? So, um, at this point, I don't know how you guys are uh, placing your investments, but for me, myself, uh, this is what I'm doing. Um, currently, I'm still trading the US market um, quite aggressively, I would say. Um, it's, it's not because I am betting that the bull run is going to continue because of uh, good results and uh, whatnot. It's just that I feel there are still a lot of liquidity in the market. And yes, while people are trying to pull out money from the market, but they will try whatever excuse or whatever reason, a positive reason for them to re-enter the market at this point. So let's say, for example, ah, a, good, a, a very good example would be the stock that I like, Palantir. Palantir reported a result that is in line with market expectation, Right. I mean, it has to be in line because that company is an AI company and AI company is supposed to predict the future, right? So they, they predicted that this quarter they are going to make 5 cent earnings per share and they did hit 5 cent uh, earnings per share. To me, it's great news. Why great news? Two reasons. Number one, they hit market expectation, ma, so that's good. Number two, it means that their AI works, you know. The, the, they predicted that they will make 5 cents per share. They really make 5 cents per share. So I think it's a great company. But because of all these downgrades and all these people finding excuses to pull out the money from the market, and also because the share price has gone up by quite a bit, so therefore profit-taking starts to occur. And this profit-taking is quite aggressive, right? Uh, one day it will drop by 10%, another day it will drop by 5%. So at the peak, Palantir was at 20 bucks. Today is only like, I'm not sure, I think 15 or something like that. In a span of two, three days only. In a two, three days, it dropped by $5. $5 is about 20%, by the way. So that is a big drop. Uh, but how do I see it is that people are still trying to look for opportunities to enter stocks like this, right? So therefore, um, I'm still quite aggressive in US on that investment thesis that people are still trying to go back into the market. So if I can find value in the stock that I want to invest in, then I'll go in. So that, so that part is uh, one portion. The other portion is that, now over time you all heard from me and Peter, uh, you know that I'm not a crypto enthusiast, right? But I think because crypto has developed itself and it has become a mainstream asset class and all those stuff, right? And going forward, I think there'll be more and more uh, crypto spot ETF. That is something that a lot of crypto enthusiasts is looking forward to. So therefore, I think not putting money into crypto is, is a little bit trying to close myself under the tempurong, right? It's like kata di bawah tempurong like that. 
So therefore, I started to open up a little bit and I started to move some of my funds into crypto, but very specific crypto. I only look at the top five market cap on crypto because I don't think the smaller projects will have um, opportunities to be able to gain a lot of uh, attention in this current uh, so-called crypto winter period, right? But the top five is different because top five, they are very vibrant. They have very viable projects and things like that. And more interestingly is the Bitcoin halving in 2024 and also um, the potential that more and more fund managers will start to do uh, Bitcoin ETFs, spot ETFs in the future. So therefore, I am starting to accumulate Bitcoin myself <laughs> to the point that I, I, I actually bought a co-wallet and thinking of putting all my Bitcoin into that co-wallet. So, and the last part is on the Malaysia side of things. Now, for Malaysia, it's also very interesting because on Saturday, we are going to have our PRN, right? Our state election. And this state election is very different from the past because in the past, what happened is your general election, your, your country election, and your state election happens on the same day. Now, when, when, when this election happens on the same day, right, all this manifesto, all this uh, politician go out and uh, try to convince people to vote for them, right? They only need to do the work once, right? When they, when they do the work once, when I'm convinced that, oh, Pakatan Harapan is a better government or Perikatan National is a better government. And when I go to the ballot box and when I cast my vote, it's very natural for me to cast the the uh, parliament seat and the state seat, the same, the same coalition, right? But this time round, we have GE15 where PH government managed to garner the majority of the votes, which is okay. I think they are, they, are, they are doing okay as a government right now. But you have another state election where people can judge what you have done in the past six months and the continuous... Um, manifesto and convince and influence from the opposition to try to pull votes away from people who typically vote for uh, the PH government in GE15. So we really don't know how this Saturday's vote is going to turn out. Is it going to be very similar to GE15 result? Or is it really going to have a very big green wave like what the news has been reporting, right? If there's a very big green wave, then potentially what happens is that the federal government will be PH government, but the state government is going to be um, majority won by Perikatan National. Then we have a very big conflict over there, right? There are a lot of things that the federal government wants to do, but the state government say, no, I don't want to do, right? If they don't give the land, if they don't provide the infrastructure and all those stuff, federal project is very difficult to run. So, um, yeah, yeah, and uh, before I go into the investment side of things, I want to touch a little bit on, on some of the political scientists on their prediction on this uh, state election. Now, they say that um, for those states that are majority um, Malay voters, so states like um, Kelantan, Trengganu, Kedah, and all those stuff, um, they, somehow the survey suggests that um, these states they are not too convinced by the policy that is um, driven by PH government currently, right? 
and they are more religiously driven. Um, but at the same time, the people who are staying in the urban area, uh, chances are they're going to vote uh, for the PH government. And they're also a group of people, very interesting. They are from rural states, uh, rural area, but they work in urban area. And their mindset is, I get to enjoy all the benefits I have in my urban city. But when I go back to my hometown, I want to be religious and I want my hometown to remain um, as what it is. So no need to have too big developments because all those big developments I can have in the city. And when I come back home, I just want a peaceful, I just want a lot of green land and I want everyone to be harmonious and happy. So if nothing bad go if if nothing bad ha- is happening in the area i don't need a change so people who who are are going back to vote right there's a chance for them vote for whoever that they wanted to vote so now my point my point here is that we are in a situation where it is not like a typical election whereby general election comes together with state election you vote one time you get the same party on your parliament seat and your state seat. This time around, you're going to have a federal government, which is the red flag. And we don't know. It's a very big question mark on the state government side, whether it's going to be red flag or whether it's going to be blue flag. Right? And this is a very big risk for the Malaysian market currently. And because of that, if you compare this week's trading volume on Busan Malaysia to last week's trading volume on Busan Malaysia, it has a very big drop. Investors are staying on the sideline to wait for the election outcome to present itself. Then only they think what they want to do next. I think that's a better strategy right now. Because if you say, oh yeah, I know, the government has been bringing a lot of FDI and all that, right? Tesla coming in, all these battery manufacturers are coming in and things like that. But billion, billion ringgit are coming in. But if let's say, the state government at the end of the day is different from the federal government. And they say that, hey, I cannot give you the land to build the factory. Then how are these factories going to come in? Right? And if they don't come in, then how the supply chain of the whole industry is going to grow? There's a lot of question mark. So at this point, it's better to wait and see what is going to happen on Saturday. But what, whatever it is, I still want to say that you know, if your state is going to go through this election, please cast your vote. Because if you don't vote, it is as good as voting for the party that you didn't want them to be the government. Right? So, uh, generally, that is my um, investment strategy for now. Whether it is overseas, whether it is crypto, whether it is in the local um, stock market. So, um, yeah, today I think it's going, it's going to be a little bit short, um, yeah, because Peter is not here to, <laughs> to uh, help me to elaborate on uh, some of those points. But uh, I think what I'll do now is I'll open up for uh, questions. If you have any questions, you can write it down in the comment box, then uh, we, can, uh, we can discuss them together. Uh, Emily Ganja, invest in cryptocurrency now. Um, well, this is not investment advice, but this is what I'm doing because I'm seeing that um, Bitcoin is going to go through that halving in 2024. That's one. And number two, on the technical side of things, uh, Bitcoin has been hovering around 29,000, 30,000. It's quite stable at that point, 
right? Even though, you know, your, your, your market is a little bit unstable right now. And in fact, I noticed that when the stock market is very unstable, right? Bitcoin goes up, right? So maybe that is a negative correlation that I can play with, right? Negative correlation means if something goes down, then uh, the other asset, the price will go up. So in this case, if stock price goes up, Bitcoin goes up, then I would I might want to accumulate more Bitcoin in that sense. <clears throat> hey, Peter, Peter is, is actually on this um, live. <laughs> CPI is out increased uh, slightly. Uh, I don't have the screen in front of me. Maybe if you can put down some of the details, then we can talk about it as well. Uh, my suspicion is that it could go up a little bit, but maybe not a lot. Oh uh, yeah, yeah increased slightly. Like, yes, correct. <clears throat> if PH wins in the state election, or if PH wins in general, would that cause a spike in the Busa market though? Um, on the market sentiment side of things, I think it's, it is possible because then you have the uncertainty address, right? You have the federal government and the state government aligned and therefore they can continue to be aggressive on the federal side to go out and invite all these FDI, these, all these foreign direct investments to come in. And then the state election can support them by saying, hey, here is a piece of land. Um, you can use my water and things like that. These are all the high skilled workforce that uh, you can use as well. Just remember to pay tax, right? So I think on, on that side of things, market sentiment could be very positive and that could trigger a little bit of rally in the stock market per se. But still, it all depends on fundamentals, right? If the, if the company is already trading at very high valuation, even if it goes up, it is not sustainable, right? Still look for value, still look for fundamentally strong companies because yes, Malaysia could be good, but if you look outside of Malaysia, like, like, like uh, we have just discussed just now, things are not really great, right? And Malaysia is a trading economy. Right? So we rely on external factors for us to prosper. And if outside is not doing well, inside's growth is also limited right? to the to the certain extent. <clears throat> How can Palantir get into S&P 500? Why Alex even mentioned it? What are the rules to be included? Uh, okay. Um, I think to help you understand better, I'm going to use the Malaysian context. Um, in fact, I think most exchanges, they use quite similar rules. Right? Okay, so in Malaysia, every June and December, the KLCI index, which is the top 30 stocks on Busa Malaysia, will undergo a review. Now, what do they do in this review? First, they will look at the market cap. Are you the top 30 highest market cap in the market? That's one. Number two, do you have enough liquidity? Means that if I buy this stock, is it very hard to get out? Is it very hard to sell? Right? So is the stock liquid or not? And uh, number three, do you have good governance and da, 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 ESG and stuff like that? Lah. So if you comply with all those rules, then you, you get a chance to be included into KLCI top 30 stocks. Now, in June and December, there's going to be this review. So let's say, for example, uh, oh, a very good example would be during that time pandemic, um, all the glove stocks were flying so fast 
until at one point, uh, Top Glass market cap was higher than Maybank, if I'm not mistaken. Right, so and because of that, Hata Lega, Top Glove, and all these glove stocks, they are all included into the KLCI index. But today, we all know what happened to all these glove stocks, right? They all plummeted, they all crashed, and because they crashed, the market cap shrank, shrank to a very, very small amount. And therefore, in the subsequent reviews, all these glove stocks gonna kick out from the index. So that's how index works, and it is the same for the S and P five hundred. So in order for Palantir to be included into the S&P 500, number one, the market cap should be large enough that it becomes the top 500. If it does, that will be top criteria number one tick to go into S&P 500. And subsequently, there are a lot of all these uh, regulations that, that uh, they need to comply. Lah. So the fact that Palantir has gone up from eight bucks to 20 bucks and now fall a little bit back to 15, um, yeah, I think what they say is not impossible. It's a chance, a potential chance that this company can really go into S&P 500. Um, how to buy US Treasury bond? Um, if you want to buy it directly, um, it's a little bit difficult because uh, if you go to the bank, they will tell you like, oh, then yeah, you can, but your minimum investment amount maybe 250,000 ringgit or US dollar, I don't know, right? Uh, but there are other methods for you to buy into US treasury bonds. Um, one of the most common way is to buy into a bond fund, right? What is a bond fund? Basically, it's like unit trust fund, but instead of stocks inside this fund, it's all bonds, lah, right? So you buy this bond fund and this bond fund is able to generate a very steady um, passive income stream through those uh, coupon that they collect from the US Treasury. Then they will pass it back to you. So that's how you can um, invest in uh, US bonds. Mana yang handsome satu lagi? Dia tak ada kat sini sekarang tapi dia ada kat chat room. So you can talk to him through there. <laughs> In the US market, which sector are you invest in? Um, okay, um, I, think, I think Peter and I, we discussed this before. Um, so this is, this is generally our strategy when we approach um, stock market as a whole on a global basis. Now, number one, we are in Malaysia. So we are very familiar with Malaysian business or, we should, or, or should I say, we are more familiar about Malaysian business than overseas business, right? And because of that, um, we can easily identify stocks that can pay dividend sustainably and we know they can pay. Stocks like Maybank, right? We all know that Maybank pays very good dividend and we know that chances are Maybank is continue to be able to pay good dividends. But if you ask a Norwegian, he, he or she may not even know what is Maybank and because of that, Hey, I better don't touch this stock because I better go and buy my Norwegian bank stocks, right? So, okay, so, so because of that unfair advantage and, and Malaysia stocks typically pays very good dividend. So my uh, passive investment is all in Malaysia. So passive investment means um, dividend stocks, you know, uh, very steady, the share price typically don't fly very fast, that kind of, uh, those I buy Malaysian stocks. 
So then, but but I need alpha, right? I need to generate that extra money because that is the essence of investment. You use your money to make more money. But if my Malaysian portfolio makes money so slow, then where do I get that extra amount? So that's where US comes in. Now, US, um, when you look at the, the growth stocks in the US, there are companies like Apple, there are companies like Microsoft, Amazon, Netflix, right? All these companies thrive. And they, do it, and they don't just thrive in the US, they thrive in the world, right? Their customers are every individual in the world. So the growth is tremendous. And when, when I invest my money to get more money in that sense, I look for stocks like that. Stock that can have very exciting growth in the next five to 10 years. So I don't really have a US sector that I really look at but I won't go into things like railway, which I don't even know what real companies they have in the US. Uh, US banks, forget it because <laughs> Moody just downgraded those banks and Malaysian banks are a lot safer. So you can safely say most of my US stocks are in tech stocks at this point because tech stocks is the best growth stocks that I can find so far. Uh, can you explain how it works when interest rate is high, it can bring down inflation? Okay, first of all, then I need to explain how, how inflation came about after the subprime mortgage crisis, right? Okay, so during the subprime mortgage crisis, nobody wants to spend money. They're scared. But if nobody is spending money, the whole economy will collapse. And the government, the country cannot allow the economy to collapse. So what do they do? So they will lower the interest rate so low and for US case is zero. Now what does zero mean? Zero interest rate means if I walk to Maybank today and I say I want to borrow one million ringgit for one year. I take the one million, I go and do whatever I want, I spend, which is what the government wants me to do, right? Because when you spend money, the economy churn, then GDP can improve, right? So I use the money, I earn some money, da -da 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 -da, whatnot. 12 months later, I walk back into Maybank. All I have to do is to pay back $1 million, 0 .00. I don't need to pay a single cent extra back to the bank. Isn't that free money, right? So, and because of that, a lot of people went to the bank to borrow money during the past, four, in, in, in the past 14 years because interest rate was at 0%. Now, when that happens, when so many people take free money and go and churn, the market becomes too hot, right? And as a, let's say, nasi lemak seller in the US, lah, hey, suddenly so many people come and buy my nasi lemak. Sometimes they buy it, they don't even eat, they just buy and throw just because they got extra money, right? So, hey, they don't need to sell so cheap. Lah. Last time I used to sell $1 a pack, right? Now I sell $10 a pack. Oy, but still got people buy one, right? Because... People got a lot of money. They don't know what to do with the money, right? So they just spend, they just buy. So inflation goes up, right? The packet that is worth $1, I can sell for $10. Okay, now, in order to reverse that, then the interest rate has to go up. When interest rate goes up, right? Like, like currently the interest rate is at 5%, more than 5%, what will happen? Number one, Hey, don't spend lah. You spend money already, the money is gone. But if I put in FD, right, at least I got 5% extra or no. So number one, I don't spend. Number two, I don't borrow money. Why? 
If I borrow money, one year later, I borrow one million, I come back, I have to pay you one million and fifty thousand. Hey, fifty thousand that is for some people that is one year salary, okay? So it's very expensive. So I don't borrow. So number one, I save money, I don't spend. Number two, I don't borrow to spend. The moral of the story is I don't spend. If I don't spend, what is going to happen to the nasi lemak seller who sell at $10 per pack? Hey, shit lah, today business no good. Lower down to $9 and see got people buy no lah. Hey, yeah, still don't have. Lower down to 5 lah. Still don't have ah. Okay lah, okay lah, go back to normal price lah, $1 lah. Then business starts to come back. So that's what the government currently is doing in order to bring down inflation. And hopefully their strategy works lah. So that, and, and, and that is not to say that you increase the interest rate today, tomorrow you see the effect one. It will take time. And after 15 months of interest rate hike, now only we start to see the effect. So hopefully in the next six months, 12 months, we can really see inflation coming down to a more stable level. Uh, please remain your live video, stay online always. Sometimes I missed it. Uh, if you miss our live session, don't worry because uh, it will be posted up of uh, Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify. It's called The Real Money Show by Mr. Money TV. Um, and if you want the video version, then you can go to our Facebook and join this group called The Money Hackers because this video will be uploaded to The Money Hackers group on Facebook. <laughs> What would be affected if a recession breaks out? Ah, at the worst, the number one thing that you should be worried about if you are a working adult is your job. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding. Because what happened is that, let's say in the scenario, right? I say, number one, people save money. Number two, people don't borrow money. And the moral of the story is people don't spend, right? Now, when people don't spend, Companies don't need to produce so many things. If companies don't need to produce so many things, they don't need to hire so many people. But they already hire you <laughs> and many other people. And all this means costs. And if they don't cut costs, they will die. So what do you think they will do? They are going to start retrenching people. And when they start retrenching people, it becomes a weak, uh, uh, vicious cycle. Right, So, yeah, you cut people's job. People don't have pay. Lagi cannot spend. When, lagi, when, when people cannot spend, the lagi don't buy the stuff from the business. The business, lagi got no profit. Lagi need to cut people. So it will become a very bad cycle. And then if this continues on and on and on, that's where it will turn out to be like the 1920 depression. Right? For, the, for the next 10 years in the 1920, it's a period of downtime and nothing runs in the 10 years and everyone suffers. So that is the worst case scenario that could happen to us. But I hope we don't need to go there. What, what happened if soft lending fail and we end up in a depression? What if uh, US soft lending, uh, but uh, China depression? Okay. Um, okay, so just now the explanation of uh, what could be the worst case scenario, right? Okay, then let's say we are already in the worst case scenario. We are in a depression. Uh, what to do? Uh? Easy law. It's not like we never done it before. Uh. Print money again. Uh. Right? You print money again, then people will start spending. You put helicopter money, you put 10,000 in everybody's letterbox. I think very fast we can recover. 
but that means we go back to square one. Lah. We go back to where it was and history is going to repeat itself. Lah. Right? Uh, what is your investment strategy during a recession? Uh, okay, so I told you I have a few portion of my money, right? So one is the very aggressive one, which I go to the US, and one is the very safe one, which I put in Malaysia for dividend and stuff like that. Now, in recession period, um, I think more money will move back to Malaysia. That's number one. And number two, even on the Malaysian side, I will not go for things like banks anymore. I will go for things that is very, very basic. So what are the things that are very, very basic, man? Uh, telephone, internet, food, uh, apparel, but not LV kind of apparel. The, the, it's the Padini kind of apparel. Uh, what else? Uh, all the basic, basic stuff, right? Because all this basic stuff, no matter recession, depression, or whatever shun, you still need to use. And all these companies can survive on, right? It's just that they will make less profit. Uh, things like electricity and whatnot. So, um, number one, step one, more money back to Malaysia. Now, step two will be um, not into things like banks and all the aggressive sectors, but more into defensive sectors like um, um, consumer staple and all the basic, basic stuff. So that would be my strategy. Anything about gold or commodity? Ah, surprisingly, right? Um, market now coming down. And by right, when market comes down, gold price will increase. But this time round, gold seems to be a little bit quiet. In fact, it's more quiet than Bitcoin, right? So that, that itself is another reason why, why I start to move into crypto as a digital goal, right? Uh, to the point, okay, to, to explain a little bit more on why I bought that, that uh, little cold wallet is also because um, in the past, a very long, 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 long time ago, um, I actually bought a small piece of gold, right? And my objective, my life objective is to have at least two pieces because I have two daughters. But gold is very expensive. I cannot afford. So I thought, eh, then maybe digital gold makes sense, lah, right? So digital gold, I don't need to have physical gold and then go through the transaction and whatnot, just buy Bitcoin and put into the cold wallet so I can just take the thumb drive and say, ah, this is also considered the goal, lah, right? So that is another reason for me as well. Do you foresee an increase in retail investment with the introduction of fractional trading? 10 ringgit also can buy shares wall. Uh, I feel this is just marketing gimmick, lah, right? I mean, if, if you think about it, right? Malaysian, one lot of share is, one, one lot, one trading lot is 100 share. And the share price could be, I don't know, 5 cent, 10 cent, 50 cent, $1. So at, at, at $1, 100 share per block is only $100. And, and we already have this thing called odd lot trading in Busan, Malaysia, you know. That means you can buy one share. Not 100 block, uh, not 100 per block, uh, one share. So if the share is 20 cent, you buy one share, it's only 20 cent. You want to fraction some more. I, I actually don't know why they want to do that, right? Uh, unless you are saying things like, like let's say for example, Apple, which is trading at $180 per share, 
right? Then it's very expensive if you want to break it down. But for Malaysia's case, the most expensive share is also like what I I can't recall more than three companies that is trading more than 100 ringgit when. So I don't feel there's a need for fractional shares in Malaysia. Can you comment about the growth market of automotive industry in Malaysia? I still see new cars launching every month despite the slowdown. Um, okay, I think there is a transition right now in Malaysia from ICE vehicle into EV vehicles. And it's also because we are trying to attract more EV manufacturers into Malaysia. So your battery manufacturer, your EV car makers and things like that into Malaysia. So that has spurred some um, interest and some excitement into the car industry. And as you can see, more and more car launches today is also getting cheaper and cheaper, right? The BYD Dolphin is only less than 100,000. But I still have reserve on EV cars at this point. Why? One very important factor. Your oil price is on, the ROM 95 is, is only two ringgit and five cent. Why? Because the government is giving a lot of subsidy for you to pump petrol. But if you look at your electricity, the government is cutting electricity subsidies and in order to charge your car full tank on an EV, it takes at least 25 minutes compared if you pump a petrol into your car, it takes, it takes less than one minute or so, right? So at this point, for Malaysian context, I still think that ICE vehicle makes more sense. But yes, ultimately, over the long term, we are talking about carbon zero, we are talking about more investments, battery and all those stuff then yeah, potentially, you know, we may, we, we, we may move into a full EV kind of market. But at this point, as long as the fuel subsidy is there, it's very hard to convince me to change, right? Uh, what is cold wallet? What's its advantage? Uh, a, a cold wallet means, um, okay, first of all, a crypto wallet uh, don't have password one. So the only way for you to... Um, unlock the wallet is by this thing called the seed phrases, typically 12 or 24 words. And this 12 and 24 words is very, very important, sort of like a password to your wallet. If you lose these seed codes, you lose your crypto forever, right? And a core, a core wallet typically saves these seed phrases offline. So it is not online. If When it is offline, nobody is able to hack your system so nobody can steal your crypto. So your crypto is forever safe. So that's a cold wallet. Uh, as a beginner trader, should I trade the Forex market instead of the stock market? Which do you recommend? Um, in fact, I think Forex market is even more harder to analyze and predict because you are not just analyzing one company you are analyzing the entire country's economy plus the surrounding economies that affect that economy to come up with the price of that dollar that the country is using. So it's very hard. <laughs> Stock market easier. <clears throat> Do beer consider defensive for you? Um, actually, yes. <laughs> Okay, any more questions? If there's no more questions, then we will call it a night. Um, 
very thankful for you guys who stay out throughout the night with me. Uh, Peter is not here tonight, but I'm sure he will be able to join us next week. So I look forward to see you guys. And if you missed today's episode, don't worry. You can always go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Look for The Real Money Show by Mr. Money TV and you're able to retrieve all the episodes that we have done before in the past. Okay, thanks, man. See you guys next week. Good night.